Hello and welcome to the Euractive Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foot, And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractive's Agri-Food News Team. So Natasha. So Gerardo. What a week, what a week. No, I'm joking. <laughs> We're actually rushing in recording this podcast because uh, Tasha has a flight to take. <laughs> Don't say that. I'm dedicated to the podcast. I'm yeah, not rushing no, it anywhere. I, this is the same quality as we're always going to get. I mean, you're a public personality now. So not only it's important that you share your, your agenda public publicly, oh but expect that our listeners want to know where you spend your weekends. No. <laughs> so where, <laughs> where are you flying? <laughs> I'm trying to keep a bit of mystery, actually. <laughs> like, ooh, where could she be going? Okay, we can give a hint. It's a place that I visited last week because you're always following my footsteps. Hey. You are in my footsteps? No, um, we can say anything more for your privacy. Yeah, for my safety. Yeah. For your safety? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, but um, talking about what happened this week, Mm-hmm. Uh, there was um, a very important uh, meeting in the, I mean, not very important, but very interesting, let's say, mm. uh, in the Agriculture Committee of the European Parliament. It was indeed. Yeah, actually, it touched upon all kinds of interesting issues, which we will get to, most of them, throughout this podcast. Yeah. Um, but let's start. Boring. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> no, enjoy. Let's start with the uh, the updates. We had a little update from the Commission on the National Strategic Plans. So, And what an update. And what an update it was. Is it worth going quick, a quick overview of what National Strategic Plans are again, do you think? Or does everyone I mean, know by if now? If you want to. These are the National Strategic Plans, which are part of the Common Agricultural Policy Reform. Um, and through these plans, EU countries basically detail how they will meet the uh, nine EU-wide objectives of the CAP reform. Um, so, you know, kind of the balls more in member states' courts. They get to decide more uh, what suits their particular situation in their particular countries. But it has not been very smooth sailing so far because these plans were due at the end of last year. Um, only a third of countries managed it. We've had a few laggards have managed to get their plans in since, but we're still missing five countries, but actually six plans because Belgium being Belgium. Be- because Belgium. Because so. Belgium. Yeah. <laughs> has to be awkward <laughs> and has two plans. So anyway, that's a very Remember quick... Remember that we lived there, right? So yeah, yeah. But, but that gives Whatever us the license say. to say things like that, you know, because we know it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. There are also positive aspects of Belgium. Of course. Otherwise... Like, for instance, the food is not bad. I'm Italian, I can, I can evaluate. It's uh, a big statement from you. I'm not comparing to the Italian cuisine, but uh, Belgian food is, is okay. Anyway, that was a quick whistle stop tour of what yeah, the national yeah, yeah, strategic yeah, today plans I'm a bit, are. I'm a bit, <laughs> back I'm a to bit you know, take everything personal and I, and I tend to share our personal lives. Our <laughs> we haven't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Mine and your personal life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Particularly your. Clearly, clearly. So um, what about these strategic plans? Uh, I mean, why are they, they delaying the... 
the sending of the, the you know submitting these uh, plans oh there's well there's different reasons why why different countries are submitting there's different problems in different places um between you know elections in some places and um well changing government um and like in germany like in germany i'm thinking specifically of germany there um also you know some of the like cap legislation like some of the final parts that were required came a bit late and some countries struggle with that um there's kind of various issues and it's also the first time that um, EU countries are putting together these plans so I suppose naturally there's some there's some road bumps and some things to sort out um, in in getting the kind of drafts together to submit for the commission um, who then basically approve these plans there's, there's a whole process they're going to evaluate these plans from the second that they that the they receive a plan they have three months to evaluate it and give their kind of first thoughts send an observation letter tell them what they thought what they should change you know how they should be more ambitious etc etc and then um you know there's some dialogue I mean, we're expecting some kind of back and forth from uh, definitely yeah, we've spoken quite a lot of times um, with the EU Agricultural uh, Commissioner Janusz Wojciechowski, and he's always really emphasized this idea of emphasized this idea of dialogue between the Commission and member states yeah. to I, kind of. I, I was also impressed by during this hearing at the uh, Agriculture uh, Committee at the European Parliament, um, the Commission official who were speaking, um, who was speaking um, at a certain point, he used the wording negotiations uh, in the negotiations with the member states, which, which is a strong word. Uh, as you said, the Wojciechowski so far has always uh, uh, preferred uh, milder um, wording like dialogue. No, but In this mm. case, he, 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 he talked about negotiations. So uh, they expect to negotiate, you know, and mm. uh, it means that the, the flow is mutual like i give you something to get something back in return no um which reminds a bit european semester so the the um you know the the role of the commission in in uh, dealing with the um basically the the the, the the growth in certain member states and the economic uh, economic aspects so I expect uh, that this back and forth could be quite impactful, let's say, mm. or uh, could even lead to not that um, you know to some changes in the in the strategic plans. Yep, I think it's going to be an interesting process to follow and see how. I mean, this is the question on everyone's lips. You know, how can the commission actually? How much weight does the commission actually have? to make member states, to encourage member states to, to to adopt ambitious green goals, you know, to comply with, to have ambitious eco-schemes, things like that. Um, what, why is important um, the timing of uh, approval of these uh, strategic plans? Mm. Well, so the, camp, the Common Agricultural Policy, the reform um, enters into force on 1st of January 2023. But of course, farmers have to have a little bit of heads up, you know, have to know what's going on. They have to plan um, ahead. You know, it doesn't just work that one day you're just like, I'm going to plant this because yeah. yesterday I got told this, you know, this has to be a whole a whole process. So um, EU farmers have always said they wanted some certainty on this, you know, mm. by early summer, 
really at the latest yeah. to give them you know all the way until the end of the year to be planning and understand and also interpreting and understanding these plans and yeah. what they mean and how they can get funding for different things because this is a not this is a novel as i said yeah. this is the first time that they've they've done these plans um, so farmers want this before summit but i'm sensing ideally, here ideally, yeah. A yeah but there's a big but coming as always. Um, well, the big but is that the commission official that was speaking in the Com Agri meeting that we referenced um, a little bit earlier um, was basically saying that he, you know, realistically speaking, he doesn't see the possibility that a CAP strategic plan will be adopted before summer. And actually, he thinks that the first plan will be adopted. He thinks September is a much more realistic timeline. Um, which is autumn to him. <laughs> which is also what? it's autumn it's not oh, awesome summer. yeah no no it's not well well it's a bit borderline september i suppose yeah, some yeah. could argue slightly summer but we're, we're definitely in autumn territory in my view um also because you know we're talking about the first plan being approved in september Indeed. so there's, there's obviously 20 and 28 plans 27 mm. countries 28 plans um and, you know, they, some of them are late already, so they're obviously already behind. Um, others might be more complicated. I, I know the commission official also um, said that the the weighty, one of the weightiest plans weighs in at like 4,000 pages. 4,000 pages. That's impressive. <laughs> so the commission has to go through 4,000 pages and then give their, you know, their observations. Obviously, any modification or negotiation, as we were talking about, on a 4,000-page document is going to be a very lengthy process. There are some critics about this, uh, you know, that consider this mm, mm-hmm. yeah. this as a, as a way to rely on uh, a huge length of the on the of the plans in order to flood the commission with information and mm. uh, water down uh, any possible amendments or suggestion coming from the commission, yeah. which is a which is a tactics quite used at the at the European level. <laughs> so it's not new. I asked the commission official about this actually on the sidelines of the of the Comagri meeting. I was saying, you know, did you, did you think it was a mistake that you didn't put a um a limit, a limit. on like a like a length of a limit length limit length <laughs> on these uh on these plans. And he was saying, you know, they've in their experience in the past, they've tried to do things like limit the number of characters mm. you can put, you can upload the document. So, but it's never really worked. And he was saying, you know, there's this difference between need to know and nice to know basis. And he said mm-hmm. that has to be for the member states to say. And some of them have really specific circumstances. Like the four thousand page document one is is a country that has is has a lot of regions and a lot of different regional. Um, plans that kind of have to be merged together. Um, so it's obviously quite. So particular. we're talking about Spain, basically. But I think I think that was the insinuation. Yeah. 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 Um, he also mentioned like Italy as well. It's either Italy or Spain, yeah, because they yeah. have a system. Uh, this is also relevant in general when it comes to the common agricultural policy, because there are um, some competences at the regional level on the uh, disbursement, but even on the. Um, how the ma- the money is devoted, mm. um, and uh, Italy and Spain always had some not difficulties, but you know something different in uh, their in, yeah, yeah in terms of uh, how the competences are distributed uh, from the national level to the regional level. I have to say the commission official didn't seem too phased by the four thousand word no. document. He was like, eh, "We do this all the time. This is, this is what we're used to. We're used to this. You know, we can. This is not a problem." Um, 
But he did point because out they, because they do the same with uh, with their communication. No, I'm joking. <laughs> never, never seen a, communi- a commission communication. Never seen a four thousand page. Yeah, no, so and it's not something to aim for. FYI, it's true. If you put together all the recommendations, like to 20, 27 member states, uh, it's true that they probably have uh, in the order of thousand uh, long communication. No, like for instance, again the communication to in the European semester, not the back and forth during the negotiation with the member states, mm. and uh, but yeah. Normally, the, the the work of the commission is uh, is uh, you know normal in terms of length. Hmm. But, but definitely, uh, the length of this does cause a problem. If so, he was basically saying, you know, observation letters are likely to be sent. Although I actually thought it was quite interesting because we've heard March a lot, and he was actually saying now end of March plus uh, into April, hmm. the observation letters will be sent. Um, I guess because, well, because some of them are late, et cetera. And then he was like, member states will likely take about two months to respond. So then we're into what, June, July. And then he was saying it's summer. <laughs> They've got to go through all these plans, all these pages. So yeah, that's, that's why he landed on September as a, yeah. as what he for said was first, a, a much more said, realistic date. For the said. first plans. For the first plans. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, again, Bye. this is also a consequence of the fact that there are no penalties. Mm-hmm. for uh, missing plans yeah uh, and actually i asked about that and he you know he was saying no there are absolutely no penalties foreseen for any late or missing plans um but he did say the main punishment basically that you know it's going to come back on them that you know they're going to suffer the consequences of a less timely yeah. adoption of the plan on their own farming sector and on themselves yeah. and he basically said that's going to just backfire on them if they're late that was Does the it? the mate that was the the punishment yeah. he said there's a very good um, article I'm reading right now on this um, on this uh, national. It's a bit of a background, and you can find it on uh, Euractiv, and it's been written by this uh, reporter Natasha Foot. So I would strongly suggest you to go and check this uh, on our website. While we we moving to the second topic that we want to touch on today, which is something that we already covered some weeks ago, but with a completely different angle. Yeah, I can't say something. we covered it. We had we a good anecdote it. We about it. it. We mentioned about, it. About, yes. Yeah, it was to make fun of our Ourselves. visible oh. Spanish. Uh, <laughs> you probably remember the mysterious Cintura Negra gate. Yeah, it was quite... Big mystery. Uh, so we were, in a nutshell, we were at this press point with the Spanish minister, agriculture minister Luis Planas, and he was talking about this cintura, the alleged cintura negra. And it turns out it was aceitunas negra, so black olives. So finally, um, we're going to talk seriously about this stuff. No, I mean, not seriously, but it was one of the topic. Uh, discussed during the parliamentary um, committee meeting. I'm always going to uh, hear Centura Negra every time we talk about this. Yeah, yeah. Probably our <laughs> listeners too. Um, so it's a trade dispute started in um, 2017 uh, under the, the Trump administration. So basically two American uh, um 
olive processor complained that the Spanish companies uh, producing olives uh, were being subsidized uh, by the EU. So basically they were uh, kind of dumping the, the the black table. We're talking about the, the, the olives that are used in the American pizzas, basically. So, it's very uh, specific. Yeah. I mean... Well, they're the specifically youth. used for American pizzas. Well, they used for no, cooking. I mean, it's you mean mostly used, used, mostly used because it's the, you know, the, they're busy in, in, in cans and they, they're used by okay, um, pizza the maker in America. Both right. uh, food produced, like, you know, in restaurants, but also in, uh, in uh, you know, more processed food, you know? Uh, I mean, can you imagine the, the market pool of American pizzas? that got olives on their top, no? So it's a, it's a big, uh, it's, it's a big market. And um, there was an investigation by the US, Com- US Commerce Department, uh, which uh, led in 2018 uh, into anti-dumping uh, duties and basically anti-subsidized uh, duties. Um, that uh, were basically uh, the the EU, of course, opposed uh, these uh, um, tariffs as illeg- illegitimate, and uh, and this reduced the export of almost sixty percent um, for the black olives uh, sector uh, compared to the pre uh, duty state of play. Uh, basically, the export f- fell dramatically from uh, 67 million euros a year to only 20 million. Uh, So the commission um, took the US to the WTO uh, panel, uh, which basically in November uh, decided on the case, basically backing the US, uh, the the EU's (laughs) claims and uh, and, uh, confirming basically their stance. And uh, and yes, it, why it's important uh, this uh, situation with black olives apart from apart from the fun from our um, bad Spanish, uh, it's what the commission official who were speaking uh, before the MEPs uh, said. So it's not just about Spain, and it's it's not just about olives. This is about how the CAP. Is perceived outside the, the outside Europe, and um, how the fact that um, um, some sectors are subsidized under the Common Agricultural Policy um, shouldn't be considered as subsidized um, because it's not sector specific, you know. Uh, so. It's basically about the fact that the CAP, the, the CAP, is WTO compliant, which is something uh, quite uh, um, known in the in the trade sector, but maybe not that known for the Trump administration. But it was also in a completely different environment for the relationship between uh, uh, the US and the you know. So it was uh, there was a trade war. I mean, trade war. Oh, it was a different different time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so it's definitely made up a little, come some way to making up. 
indeed indeed and how this will end so basically the us committed to remove uh, the deities last january no actually this january sorry uh, on the 19th of january and uh, but they basically called uh, for a reason a reasonable period of time to do this because uh, uh, and, and they're in, in discussion with the EU in order to um, agree on uh, how long this reasonable period will uh, last. But um, this was a positive outcome anyway, because uh, even the, commit, the commitment to comply with the WTO ju judgment uh, is considered as a victory by the Commission, by the Spanish Ministry, and in general, as I said, by this is something that interests all the member states so um that's why um the commission wanted to highlight this particular case as a, a good example of uh, um how it it is important to defend uh, eu interest when it comes to the uh, implementation of the cap This week, we're very happy to welcome back to the podcast our very own Yulia. Welcome. Hello, Yulia. very happy to be here. Hello, it's always a pleasure to have you. And so we're so we said we were moving through all the different themes of this Agri Committee meeting. Um, and true to our word, we've covered the national strategic plans, we've covered the olives, and now we're on to a new topic, which is food security, or should I say, an old topic, an old topic that keeps coming up again and again in, in different forms one of the um, older topic in the agricultural policy in the exactly, exactly. The, the beginning of everything <laughs> it's true so they actually pointed they actually pointed that out during the uh during the committee as well how it's like one of the first objectives of the of the cap when it was founded but then uh kept coming back indeed time, time again been this big well this ongoing debate about whether it's still, you know, relevant to be talking about food security, whether it's still an issue, it's mainly, you know, kind of different perspectives, environmental perspectives versus. It, it all started with uh, with Environment Commissioner Sinkevich was there uh, to say he? food security is no longer an issue in the EU during a, a committee a committee meeting at European Parliament, and it it triggered a ruckus because uh, MEPs felt. Yeah. Yeah. Think, but tell uh, us, tell us more about the the debate uh, uh, in the um, Coma Agri about. Yeah, the I think uh, the um, DJ Agri would uh, definitely disagree with this uh, verdict that uh, food security is no longer an issue because um, they have actually included it in their farm to fork strategy when they presented it. But so far, we didn't really know what specifically that would entail and um so in yesterday's comagri um we had a commission representative um present the commission's plans on how they want to safeguard food security especially drawing on the lessons we learned from the covid crisis where there were quite some risks regarding food security firstly because of runs on stores and hoarding of food but also because of supply chains that were a bit um interrupted from time to time because of all the border controls so this is a bit the commission's inspiration for this for these new measures yeah definitely threw a new light onto the food security issue with the with the pandemic um as it has onto so many other issues so what was roughly what were the most interesting points of this plan that the commission outlined 
there's mostly one big uh, innovation, as the Commission official called it, which is, I would say, basically a copy of what the HERA, so the um, Crisis Response Mechanism for Health, is for health. Mm. So um, they want to establish a transnational panel with uh, national experts and stakeholders, um, which is going to be a European food security crisis preparedness and response mechanism. Ooh, catchy, catchy term. The, the uh, is for, there another acronym? Eye. The acronym is EFSCM, so it's not quite as catchy as HERA. Yeah, um, it's not. I, I mean, HERA is not that good. I mean, uh, HERA is better than that, whatever we just heard there. EFS, blah, blah, blah. At least wow. HERA is a word. HERA is yeah. terrible, guys, honestly. <laughs> Because like they, they wanted to do something kind of similar to the BARDA, which is the US uh, agency that do the same stuff. But uh, they come up with HERA, which is, well, I don't I know. I like HERA. I'm just going to put no, it It's also there. that the, you don't have the, you know, the flavor of the things that they're dealing with. No, because I mean, mm. Digisante is something, okay, Sante in, in French is health, yeah. and they're dealing with health, uh, like this... Uh, I mean, similarly, DG Agri is DG Agri, you know, DG Comp is DG Competition, yeah. but HERA, sure. okay, sorry, sorry, <laughs> you didn't go ahead, that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this, uh, yeah, forgive catch my a new, uh, <laughs> this catch a new group called EFSCM uh, is supposed to bring together experts and stakeholders from all the different member states, but also from along the supply chain, because uh, the commission officials stressed um, how food security doesn't only rely on production, but also on the steps that come before it and after it in the supply chain. So we're also talking about the inputs that go into food production, such as fertilizers. And we're also talking about the steps that come afterwards. So transport, um, uh, retail, all of that. So this group is supposed to bring together all these uh, dispersed actors, uh, which is also kind of a lesson from the pandemic. And several MEPs pointed that out too, that this was um, a big issue during like, the first wave of COVID. Uh, everyone was kind of had to be involved in safeguarding food production, but it's a very dispersed network of actors, and it was kind of difficult to bring everyone together to communicate. So it's supposed to be basically a platform for communication between between all these different parts of the supply chain. So it's it's more to enhance the co not cooperation, but yeah, the coordination. No. Yeah, I think it's a platform for mm -hmm. for member states to exchange more than uh, an actual grab for more EU competences. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this was also during the COVID pandemic, one of the um, pride of the sector was the fact that uh, compared to other sectors, they proved to be resilient or at least more resilient. So um, maybe they wanted to uh, put forward something that is not that dramatic, like again the HERA, uh, but something that could help uh, sharing uh, best practices, maybe. Uh, but still, again, they, they they still wanted to address um, any potential issue when it comes to food security, also to keep it high in the agenda um, or in the agriculture discourse in 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 Brussels. Otherwise, it's uh, it's. Um, it's all, you know, all the focus would be uh, moved to uh, sustainability. Hmm. Yeah, it's actually interesting because some of the other 
aspects that were also pointed out by the commission, also the MEPs, other than um, kind of the climate impact of uh, food security or on food security and the, the lessons from COVID. They also talked about uh, cybersecurity um, and uh, geostrategic concerns. So actually um, the commission official pointed out that, uh, for example, fertilizers, you often need gas to produce them. Um, and obviously that's a big hot topic at the moment with prices rising, but also uh, geopolitical risks around Russia. And Russia as well as China are actually also some of the main um, places that the EU gets phosphates from. So this is another input into agricultural production where the EU isn't self-sufficient. So these are also risk factors. So actually our top story this week is very timely to tie yeah, into this yeah. discussion. Mm -hmm. No, but as you say, just to make an example, uh, fertilizer, no, uh, Belarus is one of the um, main producers of fertilizer, actually one of the components of um, fertilizer. And uh, this is a clear example of something happening at the geopolitical level, tension with Belarus, embargoes, and uh, and uh, how this could have repercussion on uh, um, the agri-food production in uh, in Europe, no? Definitely. So today we're talking about another weird acronym in the EU, uh, SAIO. One of many. S-A-I-O <laughs> or SAIO. It sounds a bit like the singer uh, Neyo. Yeah. SAIO is better than the EFC, whatever Julia just yeah. spoke about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, SAIO means Statistics on agriculture input and output. Uh, we know that in agriculture, uh, statistics are key, for instance, to check the compliance with the uh, new sustainability requirements, for instance. But not only, not only for evaluation, but also to design agricultural policies. So statistics are quite important also when it comes to the farm to fork and the biodiversity strategies, uh, also because it's it's mostly about targets, no? like the reduction of pesticides and, and, and so on. So they basically, the commission wants to overhaul the current system on how to collect the aggregated data on agriculture inputs, like uh, animal feed or pesticides, uh, and outputs as well. So um, the animal production, uh, uh, prices, uh, so all these statistics are collected on farms, but also um, by intermediaries, uh, market organizations, and so on. So the proposal was uh, presented last year on the 2nd of February, um, and the trilogue started on the 3rd of February, one year after, um, 2022. So we have here today uh, with us to speak about the trilogue, uh, the left, leftist Greek MEPs, MEP Petros Kokalis. Uh, thank you, Petros, for having accepted our invitation to speak today. Thank you for uh, inviting me. So it's it's not the first time we invite a lawmaker to speak about a trilogue negotiation here at the AgriFood podcast. We had MEPs, we had the commissioners and even a minister once. But I can tell you it's the first time that we're hosting someone who's just come out from a trilogue uh, because the, the kickoff <laughs> meeting ended like half an hour ago. So Pedro, <laughs> I'd like to ask you, what are your first thoughts of, after this meeting and how was the atmosphere in the room? 
Well, uh, I'm sure that you have done this before and you know that I'm under certain uh, obligations <laughs> regarding uh, confidentiality of the discussion. And uh, so I will try to be as uh, uh, as open as, as possible. So uh, my first impressions from the first dialogue uh, were quite positive. Uh, all, uh, all parties, the Commission and the uh, Council, seem uh, very much uh, eager and keen to conclude uh, this file. And um, let's say that there is a broad agreement on, on, on what needs to get uh, done. Uh, this is a file that uh, uh, is, of course, very technical. It's about statistics and um, and um, uh, for us, it's very important that uh, we go forward with uh, um, a reorganization, a harmonization, and a restructuring of the uh, regulation that governs the collection of statistical data from agriculture in a way that um, uh, uh, allows, allows policymakers and everybody involved to monitor properly the implementation of the extremely important and urgent reforms that uh, happened in the, in the common agricultural policy, but also in the European Green Deal and more specifically in the uh, uh, farm fork strategy, the biodiversity strategy, and of course the uh, action plan on organic. So uh, we need uh, a better, let's say, statistical support for uh, evidence-based policy going forward. And uh, my impressions from the room uh, was that everybody was engaged and happy to move forward. And perhaps would you be able to outline maybe it's the main points of the Parliament's position on this file? Yes. Uh, the Parliament mandate, which is uh, quite strong in terms of the uh, agreement we have with the other shadow rapporteurs, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's been a very uh, nice experience that... Uh, all the shadows that are on board are very engaged and we are working very closely. Uh, we worked for, uh, for uh, quite a few time, for, you know, a long time to, to arrive at a compromise and now we stand firmly behind it. Uh, and uh, what we want to see is uh, beyond the harmonization, we have, uh, let's say, two main points. Uh, the first point is uh, to make it fit for the Green Deal so that we include uh, the uh, collection of statistics on uh, pesticides, on veterinary medical uh, uh, products and uh, antimicrobials. And uh, also uh, we, have, uh, we want to make sure that there is uh, increased transparency along all informed, all, uh, all relevant uh, authorities on this data. And of course, uh, Petros, considering what you you're allowed to say, but uh, um, what are your expectations? But also, if you think that there are points where the council seem a bit far from the parliament position at the moment? Let me say this. Uh, this is a very peculiar file in many ways. Uh, it is, um, um, it, it, it is, I don't want to call it... Uh, backdoor or, or something like that. But uh, on uh, the one hand, we have the commission is represented by the by Eurostat. Mm. So it's not uh, DG Agri or uh, DG Sante or, uh, 
or uh, the the cabinet of Mr. Timmermans, that's the head, the point here. It's Eurostat. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, we have a file which is uh, still at the uh, CSA, the Special Council on Agriculture, Special Committee on Agriculture, and not on a ministerial level. So it's seen as a technical file. But uh, at least on my part, I think that uh, uh, data is extremely important in our effort to, to, to go forward in a transition that has to be very fast and very efficient and very, and very radical, if I may, being a leftist. And um, I just wanted to ask you, there were some controversies about um, the inclusion of data collection in the organic sector specifically. And I was just wondering whether the theme of organic came up in today's meeting, um, whether you were able to give us any more details about what was discussed on organic and whether it should be included. Organic is a part of the mandate of uh, the European Parliament. So I'm happy to discuss that we want uh, to see clarity and visibility of uh, organic uh, on data on organic uh, production and, uh, and also output on prices which reflects market condition. Uh, and uh, there was a broad agreement on, uh, on all parts, the Council and the, uh, and the Commission, that uh, that's what we're aiming for. Now we are working on the technical details on how exactly we're going to do it in a way that is best for both the end users of the information of the data and also it's cost-effective in terms of uh, collecting it. So I don't see a problem in the, in the organic uh, action. Uh, this is the part where we need to be creative. In general, as we, uh, uh, I think it's important to realize that as we move forward towards uh, um, a, new, uh, uh, a new organization of our economy in, in the general sense, but more specifically in agriculture, uh, we will need to find, to be creative and find new ways. So, yes, we will need more data. Yes, it will have a cost in the national authorities. We have made provisions for increased financial support for national authorities. And uh, it is clear that both in the agriculture and in general in the Green Deal, we will need more data and uh, more regulation. And just one last question uh, about the need for more data. Uh, at the same time, some have pointed um, the risks of um, increasing the, not administrative burden, but again, the, the burden of collecting uh, this data uh, on on farmers. Um, what's your take on this? Do you think that uh, this kind of risk uh, is it, exists? Well, I, uh, I'm not very much uh, in favor of the administrative burden. I am a reasonable uh, rapporteur. I stand for the parliament here. There are colleagues, the shadow rapporteurs, that, that have this very high in their agenda. But uh, I think that in this day and age, in uh, the second decade of the 21st century, and with the ubiquity of uh, digital uh, equipment and, and data collection points, which are practically in the pockets of every farmer. I mean, uh, you know, I'm sure that most farmers have both Facebook and WhatsApp accounts. And uh, we need to be creative here. I think we need, we need more data. And uh, that doesn't mean we have to increase administrative burden. Um, we do need, uh, uh, in general, in the Green Deal, uh, a, 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 an increased participation and increased uh, 
uh, intervention of uh, of the state in uh, in uh, in investing and in uh, regulating the market. That's our position as a political group. But I think it's clear to everybody that this transition uh, will need to, and also the pandemic showed us that we need uh, a better, for sure, and perhaps a little bit bigger state intervention. And uh, in this sense, uh, we're doing our best also in the SIO to keep it uh, lean and, uh, and mean. Excellent. Thank you very much, Petros, for, uh, for your time today after what I'm sure was a quite a grueling day for you. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you very much too. So that's all from us today. And this week, like every week, the Euractive Agri-Food podcast was put together by Euractive's Agri-Food news team. That's Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Foote, with the technical support of our podcast producer, Evi Chiori. And you can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms. So that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agriculture news in the EU from the Euractive Agri-Food team. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Mm-hmm.